Well, before we get into today's message, I want to thank uh, Stan Tenen for uh, preaching last week uh, in my absence. You know, I heard reports about the sermon, and so I listened to it, and I just want to do a little evaluation of Stan's preaching. The, uh, the first section, when Stan was up here, where he was attempting to be funny at my expense, was actually just sad and pathetic. That someone could be... That someone could be so deluded as to say some of the things he said and seem to believe them is, uh, is really just sad. Now, when Stan actually turned to the Bible like you ought to do in preaching, uh, then he did an excellent, excellent job. And uh, so, so from that point on, it was very good. You know, his sermon was 28 minutes, and about seven minutes of those were making fun of me. And... Uh, I don't know. You figure out if that's the best use of time in a sermon or not. Um, so, anyway, uh, seriously, wonderful message last week. Uh, very much appreciate Stan and his ministry and uh, thankful for, uh, for him. And I know you were receptive to what he had to say. Uh, also, we'll mention to you that uh, uh, for, I don't know, the next three weeks or so, we're just going to have some standalone messages, uh, single topics each week. But then on uh, September 22nd, Sunday, September 22nd, we're going to start a new sermon series on the promises of God. You know, there are a lot of things in the Bible that Christians have made promises that aren't really promises. But that doesn't mean there aren't a whole bunch of promises in the Bible, and, and there are. And so we're going to start talking about some of those on September 22nd. And so I hope that you'll uh, join us then and in the uh, weeks in between as well. And I hope that you will be inviting people to church, make a regular practice of inviting folks to church. So why don't you go ahead and turn your Bible to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, hold your place at verse 4. We're going to read verses 4 through 9 here in just a minute. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to pick one up on either side of the sound booth. Uh, the bookshelves there have Bibles that you are free to use uh, or even uh, take with you if you need a Bible. Well, uh, most of us sent our kids back to school this week. How many of you did that, sent your kid to school this week? Yeah, over the last couple... <laughs> woo <-hoo! laughs> Over the last uh, couple weeks, I think most of our kids uh, went back to school and uh, even if you have college-age kids, I think most of those have uh, gone off to school in the last couple weeks, or maybe they will in the uh, couple of weeks that are coming up. And sending my kids off to school got me thinking about all of the influences that are brought to bear on the lives of our children. You know, you think about it, we send them for six or seven hours a day, five days a week, uh, to be influenced by their school teachers and uh, the other children, their other classmates. And I'll just say here that I'm very thankful uh, for our area school districts. We have some really good school districts in the area that we live in, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, the school district that our church resides within, the Southwest Licking Local School District, uh, I have found to be a very good District. There are a lot of good teachers in this district, a lot of Christian teachers in this district, uh, some of them in this church. And we are thankful for you guys, and we're thankful for the difference that you make in the lives uh, of our kids. Yeah.
Personally, I really could not be more pleased, I don't think, with uh, the experience that my kids have had uh, in this school district. But here's the reality. Even in a great school district, some of the influences on our kids are not what we would hope for. They're just not. Uh, a couple of years ago, my oldest son, uh, Aaron, had a teacher, and I just want to be very clear that uh, I know this teacher uh, reasonably well, as well as I know any other teacher, and I like this teacher a lot. But, but he had a teacher who throughout the year made a number of statements that were very disparaging to faith and very disparaging to belief in God. To be honest with you, it was a totally inappropriate thing for him to do. And it reminded me that even in a great school district, my kids are occasionally going to come under the influences of people who want something for them that is in direct opposition to what I want for them. And I have to say, I was really proud of my son because he, he shared with me all the arguments that his teacher put forward and then uh, answered them in his own words. And his answers were much better than his teacher's. And uh, it, was a, it was a good moment for me. Of course, even if 100% of the teachers are the influence that you want, then there are the kids, <laughs> the, the other kids. And some of them are good influences, but some not so much. TV exerts influence over our kids. Too many of us give our children unfettered, unrestrained access to anything they want to watch on TV and what they watch influences them. If you don't think so, gently, you are wrong. It influences them. The internet influences our children. The, the culture that they see on TV and on the internet and in magazines and through music, all of these things have huge influence on our kids. And I don't think you need me to go on and on with these examples. You know that there are a lot of people and a lot of things that exercise influence in the lives of our kids. And I would tell you, I, I hope that you already uh, know this, understand this, or alert to this, but some of that influence is not benign. In, in other words, it is intentionally agenda-driven, and the agenda behind much of these sources of influence is much different than what your agenda for your child is, or at least what it should be. And so today, what we want to talk about is how we can influence our children toward God in the midst of all of these influences that might serve to lead them away from God. And I want to you know, just make a few acknowledgments before I go any further into this message. And the first thing is this, I approach this topic uh, very humbly. You know, I am a parent and I cannot imagine parenting doing anything else to uh, adults than humbling them. I, I would imagine that that has been uh, your experience. You know, my boys to date have been pretty good boys. They're challenging, they're strong-willed, they want their way like their mother does, and, and um, so, you know, they're just really challenging in many ways, but, but they are generally pretty good boys, pretty good boys, and I hope that will always be the case, but I do not know that it will always be the case. I am not guaranteed that will always be the case. 
And so my teaching today is grounded in what Scripture says. The authority of the teaching isn't my own parenting, even though I do try to walk out what I'm going to say today, but that's all a work in progress. The, the authority of the teaching rests completely in the Word of God. The second acknowledgement is that I have intentionally entitled the message, Helping Your Children to Know and Love God. It is intentionally not titled something like, How to Make Sure Your Children grow up to serve God, or how to guarantee that your children will love God. You see, there are no guarantees. There's no guarantees in this. And godly parents sometimes see their kids reject the faith that they tried to model and that they tried to instill in them. Sometimes, thankfully, the children of completely godless parents grow up to love and serve the Lord with all of their hearts. There are no guarantees in part Because in spite of our common misconceptions about such things, our children are not born innocent. They're just not. They are born sinners. They are born intent on getting their own way and ruling their own lives. They are born in a fallen condition. They're born in sin. They're shaped in iniquity. My third acknowledgement is, That if you're here today, the parent of a child whose life does not indicate that they know and love God, I am first of all sorry for the pain that I know that situation causes you. And and, and I want you to know that it is very possible that you were a good and godly parent, even though your child to date uh, has not surrendered their life to God. And if you're struggling with any kind of condemnation, I want you to know that God wants to lift that off of you today. And I want you to know that there is still hope for your child. The the end of the story has not been written about your child. God loves your child even more than you do, and he is reaching out to them, and he will continue to reach out to them. So don't lose hope. The story isn't over. And at the end of the service today, we're going to give an opportunity, and I think those of you whose kids are in that place in their lives where they have not surrendered to Jesus, they've perhaps walked away from him, that you ought to come up here and you ought to allow our prayer ministry team to join you in lifting up the name of your child to the Lord. Well, let's take a look at our text, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Uh, I'll read these verses. You follow along as I do. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, the preceding chapter to this one, chapter 5, presents the Ten Commandments. If you're not familiar with them, you should become familiar with them. The Ten Commandments, they're pretty important. And then we move into chapter 6, where we just read from. And chapter 6 opens with Moses letting the people know that God directed him to teach these commands, quote, so that you your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. 
And so the context of what we've read today is propagating truth to children in the hope that each new generation that comes along will fear the Lord and keep his commandments as long as they live. So our text today is, is just very specifically instructive to this topic of helping our kids to come to know and love God. And there are a number of things verses 4 through 9 tell us that I think we should take to heart and put into practice if we're concerned as we should be with helping our kids to know and love God. Let's start with verse 5. Here's what it says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. To help your children know and love God, you need to know and love God yourself. Indispensable. You want them to know and love God? You have to know and love God. You cannot help your children to know him if you don't know him. You cannot help your children to love him if you don't love him. Now, God is so gracious to us that your kids may still come to know him and love him even if you don't. But if that happens, it will be in spite of you, not because of any help that you provided. We cannot pass along a faith that we don't have. We cannot pass along a conviction that we don't hold. Christian parent, your kid knows if your faith is all talk. They know. Your kid likely knows, even if they cannot articulate it, if you are truly a Christian or if you are simply a cultural Christian. That's a humbling thing to think about, but they know. Faux faith, pretend faith, speaks really loudly to kids. And faux faith, pretend faith, becomes an obstacle that your child has to overcome to truly know and love God. You become an obstacle if your faith isn't genuine, if your faith isn't real. And so to help your child know and love God, you must sell out for God yourself. You've got to serve him with all of your heart, soul, and strength. Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Now, verse 4 is the the classic statement of the biblical doctrine of monotheism, uh, which simply means that there is only one true God. God. The parent who is concerned with their child knowing and loving God has to do more than simply encourage a general openness to spirituality. They've got to do more than that. The parent needs to know and love the one true God, and they need to be willing to introduce that child to the only true God. There is no other God. All other gods are just so-called gods. They are false God, uh, false gods. And your parental responsibility isn't just to foster spirituality in your child, but to teach your child about the only true God. Verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. 
In order to influence your children for God, your own heart has to belong to God. And here's something that I think is a great danger for Christians, and that's uh, what we call moralism. Living by a code of conduct. White-knuckling a morally upright life. And thinking that that is knowing and loving God. Now, that's a good thing. That's better than not doing that. But that isn't really enough. If you want to pass on your faith to a child, it's a matter of the heart. God has to have your heart. God has to have your child's heart. I think many of us really believe that we are influencing our kids for Christ by simply living good, moral, upright lives. But it isn't just good, moral, upright lives that we ought to desire for our children. It is knowing and loving God that we ought to desire for our children. St. Augustine said this, love God, then do as you please. Love God, then do as you please. His point was that if we love God sufficiently, we will do what pleases God. And we won't do what displeases God because those things will also displease us. But if we lack love for God, we can keep a whole list of rules, but it will not make us right with God, and keeping the rules will not keep us true to God. You can serve false gods while living a very moral life in many respects. Helping our children to know and love God is a matter of the heart. To do it, your heart has to truly belong to Jesus. So parent, does your heart belong to Jesus? Or are you holding out on him? Are you trying to have Jesus and trying to have the world as well? And here's something that I think is probably true for a number of people in this room today. I think that some of us have discarded internally, doesn't show up so others can see it, but internally we have discarded with any pretense of Jesus having our heart. Internally, we know he doesn't have our hearts. But we continue to keep up appearances because we want something different for our kids than what our own experience is. If that describes you, you are not doing your child any favors. Your faux faith might actually become an obstacle to your child coming to know and love God. Look at verse 7. Impress them. Now, in context, it's talking about the commandments. Impress them on your children. To impress means to deeply, uh, to affect deeply or strongly in mind or feelings. It means to influence an opinion. It means to fix deeply or firmly on the mind or memory. It means to urge somebody towards something. Basically, to impress is to make a mark on someone. It's similar to imprinting. It is to press something into something. In this case, to press something into someone. And so what the Bible teaches is that in order for us to help our kids come to know and love God, we have got to be willing to impress the things of God on them. We've got to impress them. 
Now, here is a very common sentiment that I hear uh, from many parents in our culture, and it's a sentiment that I, on occasion, hear from uh, Christian parents, professing Christians. Here it is. I'm just going to expose my kids to a lot of different experiences. I'm going to expose them to a lot of different beliefs. And I'm just going to let them make up their own mind. I'm not going to try to influence them in any one particular direction. I think they just have to find their own way. Well, rest assured that whether you want them to or not, they will be exposed to a lot of different beliefs. And rest assured that they will make up their own minds. But I need to say something about this attitude that I've just described I want to say it very kindly. I'm going to be as respectful to differing opinions as I can be. I will be as gentle as I can possibly be. If you are a Christian and you think the right approach to parenting is simply to introduce your child to various beliefs, not try to point them in any one direction, and be satisfied with them choosing whatever, they path, whatever path they want, as kindly and gently as I can say it, mustering all the sensitivity that I can possibly muster, you have completely lost your mind. <laughs> You've completely lost your mind. You have fulfilled the saying, some people are so open-minded that their brain falls out. And what you need to do, quick, is find where your brain rolled away to. Scoop it up. Put it back in place. Keep your mind open. An open mind is a good thing. But close it just enough that your brain doesn't fall out again. If I can be honest, here is the only explanation I can come up with for Christian parents having that attitude. Here's what it tells me. They do not really know and love God. And so it is really not that important to them whether their child knows and loves God. I mean, can you tell me any other topic where parents take this approach except when it comes to faith? You do not take that approach with their schoolwork. When little Johnny tells you that 2 plus 2 equals 5, I hope you do not celebrate little Johnny. Little Johnny is wrong, and he needs you to impress on him that 2 plus 2 actually equals 4. We don't take that approach with personal hygiene. We don't lay out the options for little Sally. Sally, you can brush your teeth twice a day, or you can brush your teeth once a day, or you can brush your teeth every other day, or you could just go au naturel and never brush your teeth at all. No, we impress on little Sally that she needs to brush her teeth. We don't take that approach with safety. We don't say, now, now little Derek... It is time for you to learn to cross the road. And here is a variety of options that are available to you. <laughs> All right. Option number one, little Derek, is you can look left. 
make sure nothing's coming. Then you look right and make sure nothing's coming. And then you look left again and then you cross. Option number two, Derek, is you can look left, don't worry about right, and cross. Option number three is don't worry about left, just look right and then cross. And option number four is just don't worry about left or right. Put your head down and cross the street. Now, Derek, here are your options. You choose as you see fit. That is preposterous. What we are called to do is, as parents, is impress on little Derek that he needs to look left, right, and left again. That's our responsibility. That is our responsibility. We do not take this hands-off approach with anything else, just the most important thing in the world, just the most important thing in their entire lives, just the thing that all of life hinges on, whether or not you come to know and love God. And you need to know that the Bible uh, radically disagrees with you. The Bible does not take a hands-off approach to influencing kids to know and love God. The Bible says you need to make an impression on your kids. You need to leave a mark on your kids. You need to impress into them the knowledge of the true God. You need to impress into them love for God. You need to impress upon the hearts of your kids their need of Jesus Christ being their Savior and their Lord. And so be intentional about influencing your kids for Jesus. Much of the media is intentional about influencing them away from Jesus. Much of the culture is intentional about influencing them away from the knowledge of the true God. Every once in a while, even in a great school district, you find a, a teacher who will be intentional about trying to undermine their faith, trying to undermine their belief in God. Some of their friends are intentional about leading them down paths away from God. With so many people being so intentional about influencing your kids, you better step up. You better step up and be influential, uh, in, uh, intentional in influencing them uh, toward, Jesus, toward Jesus Christ. If you don't, your child might grow up to know and love God, but you're not helping the likelihood of it. And here's a question I have, Christian parent. Why would you want to leave anything on the field with this most important of issues, whether or not your child comes to know and love God? So don't waste the influence that God has given you in the lives of your children. You say, Brian, I don't have any influence in the life of my children. You do. That is a lie. That's an excuse. That is a cop-out. You have influence on your kids. It may seem as though you don't, but you do, and you need to use it. What God wants the Christian parent busy doing is everything you can to bend that child toward him, to, to help make it easier for that child to turn to him in faith. Now, it's true, your faith cannot save your child. They have to come to personal faith in him.
But your faith and your intentional effort at impressing the knowledge and love of God upon them can make it easier for them to come to faith, can create a a fertile environment for them to begin to know and love God. So don't waste your influence. Get busy influencing your kids in the direction of the only true God. And verse 7 tells us a little bit about how that can be done. Uh, Here's what it says. Talk about them, again, in context. He's speaking about the commandments. When you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Uh, Here's what I take from this. We need to be talking to our kids about what matters most, God, faith in God. Now, talk to your kids about everything. Talk to your kids about trivial things. There's nothing wrong with that. Talk about Duck Dynasty. Talk about the, uh, and actually that actually can help you a little bit. That's a good faith, faith emphasis show. Um, talk about the funny joke they heard at school. Talk about their favorite cartoon. Talk about football. Talk about stylish clothing. Talk about their favorite video games. If you can muster up the courage, play video games with them. Have fun. Enjoy life. Laugh. But do not neglect to talk to them about the things that matter most. Deuteronomy says we should do that when we sit at home, when we walk along the road, when we lie down, and when we get up. Let's paraphrase it. Talk about what matters most all the time. Every opportunity you get, at home, away, in the morning, at night, whenever you are, whenever you can, with every opportunity, consistently, regularly, often, Talk about what matters most all of the time. I want to offer just a few suggestions today for uh, talking with your kids about God and faith. And really the suggestions that I have for you today apply to to really anything, just life in general. If you flip over, if anybody, anybody using your outline? Anybody out there? Okay. (laughs) If you flip over on the back of your outline... Uh, there are some, some lists that you're going to, to write in some of these suggestions. The first list is suggestions for talking to your kids about God. Uh, obviously, a, uh, a five-point list is not exhaustive. Uh, these might not even be the best five points that someone could come up with, but they're the ones that I felt impressed to share. And they might not be exactly what you uh, were expecting. Here's the first one. Talking to your kids about God, about faith, really about anything. Number one, don't be fragile. Don't be fragile. Be prepared that your kids are going to ask you tough questions. Be prepared that sometimes your kids are going to push back against you and be skeptical of what you have to say. Expect them to push back. Don't become defensive and don't be offended if their thinking does not exactly match yours. I learned this lesson very early on as a parent. I was a new pastor. My oldest son was Aaron, was three years old when I became a pastor. And uh, one night, I don't know, probably a year, year and a half after that, I He was in his late threes or four. I'm not sure of the exact 
uh, age. But soon after I became a pastor, I was praying with Aaron at bedtime one night, and he looked over at me and said, now keep in mind, this kid is three or four years old. He says, Dad, I'm not sure I believe in God. (laughs) What? (laughs) What is wrong with you, boy? No, that's not what I said. Dad, I'm not sure I believe in God. Inside, I was screaming, of course you believe in God. Don't be ridiculous. You believe in God? Say it, say it, say I believe in God. (laughs) I mean, I don't think I questioned God's existence until I was like 25 years old. And here's my three or four-year-old saying, eh, not sure about God. What in the world is happening here? My world is spinning. I learned this early on. (laughs) Don't be offended. Don't become defensive. And fast forward, you know, six, seven years. And this is the child who defended his faith to me uh, under the attack of his teacher and made so much more sense than his teacher. Now, we still occasionally have question-filled conversations. The questions aren't all resolved. It was just awesome to see this kid who said, I don't know if I believe, answering the charge that there is no God in doing so well. So don't be fragile. Be ready for whatever you have to face as you work to help your kid come to know and love God. Second thing, have a policy that no question is off limits. Your kid should be able to ask you anything about God, about faith, about life in general, about that thing that starts with an S and ends with an X. Your child should be able to ask you anything without fear that you will become angry or indignant. Here's my view. The only bad question is the one my child chooses not to ask me. That is the only bad question. If my kid has a question, I want to be the one they bring it to. I want to be the one that has a chance to influence them in a biblical and godly direction. And so no question should be off limits. The third thing, when you're taken off guard by your kid's question, uh, have fun trying to figure out how to write this one in the space provided. (laughs) When you're taken off guard by your kid's question, know that God can handle the questioning of a confused kid. God can handle the questioning of a doubtful kid. God can handle the questioning of a skeptical kid. You need to know this. God is not angry with your child because they have a tough question about him. And you shouldn't be either. Here's the fourth one. Be real with your kids. You do not need to pretend that you've never had a question about God. You do not need to pretend that you've never had a question about faith. You don't need to pretend that your walk with God is everything that it should be because they know better anyway. Be real with your child as you talk to them. And then here's the fifth one. Admit when you don't know something. Admit when you don't know something. Now, if it is something that can be known, 
then find out and revisit the conversation. But if it's one of those big things that you know pretty much none of us know or are capable of knowing, just admit that you don't understand that, but that you trust God in spite of not understanding that. And here's probably the main thing I want to emphasize on this point. Please, please, please do not give your child a pat answer on a big topic that would only satisfy somebody who had totally disengaged their brain. Please don't do that. You are not going to help your child by giving answers that make them think that to be a Christian, you've just got to stop thinking. Don't do that. Don't do that. In addition to being intentional and talking about what matters most, another way that Deuteronomy says we can help our kids to know and love God is by establishing practices that create fertile ground for faith. Another way of saying it is that we could establish rituals that help lead our kids to the knowledge and love of God. Verses 8 and 9, and I am hurrying to a close. Tie them, the commandments, as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, at the time of Jesus, this was a common practice. People literally uh, did this. They would, they would uh, take uh, the scriptures and they would place them on their arms. They would place them on their foreheads with straps holding them on. They would, they would put them on the door frames of their houses. And in the New Testament, Jesus actually took them to task for this. Uh, the, these things that they would use are called phylacteries, and he took them to task. But, but one of the things that you need to know is that most theologians think what Jesus was upset about was not the practice itself, but rather the ostentatious approach to the practice. That they had come to do this really just to be seen. They had come to do it to, to demonstrate their spiritual superiority over others, and that is specifically what Jesus was unhappy about, not the ritual itself. The general encouragement in verses 8 through 9 is toward practices, rituals, if you will, that serve to influence uh, our kids toward the knowledge and love of God. Ritual does not have to be a bad word. Sometimes we think of it as being a bad word, but rituals can be good. They can enforce good things. Here's when a ritual becomes a problem, when it becomes disconnected from the heart, as long as the practice is connected to the heart, it's okay. It's only when it becomes ritualistic, something we do that doesn't mean anything to us, uh, that a ritual becomes a problem. Otherwise, they're good things. So let me suggest four practices, rituals, if you will, uh, that I think every Christian should establish. Number one, public worship. Good job. Good job. You're here. You're in public worship. That is, that is great. Good job. Keep it up. Be faithful to that. That will help to influence your kid for Christ. Attend a small group. Public worship. Gathering together with, with other Christians. You say, well, we don't really do much for the kids in my small group. Well, consider doing something for kids in your small group. Bring them up every once in a while from the basement and pray over them. Don't scream at them when they come up too early for snack time. <laughs> if nothing else, your kids seeing that you value God and faith enough to go to the trouble of going on a Wednesday or Thursday night 
is helpful to your child. Being around other kids who are imperfect like they are, but who are a part of families who know and love God is a good thing for them. They're all kind of good things. Attend a small group. Directory's available soon. (laughs) My little promotion there. All right. Number two, family prayer. In the morning, at meals, at bedtime, in times of need, when others outside of your family have a need, basically foster an attitude of continual prayer. Not, not every minute of the day, but, but just something comes up, let's pray. I have a need, let's pray. I hurt, let's pray. Attitude of prayer in your family. Number three, Bible reading. Commit to something that's manageable. Read it together. Have them read it on their own. You choose, but get them reading the Bible. In my own family, we for months have had our kids reading on their own the uh, chapter a day that the congregation is reading. And then just recently, we changed it up a little bit, and we started reading it together uh, as a family. Not perfectly, but uh, reading it together uh, as a family. So you choose, but get your kids reading the Bible. Number four, service. Model service for the cause of Christ. Uh, This is an important thing for your kids to see that will help bend them to faith, and I was going to talk more about that, uh, but I feel I need to uh, move along here. Uh, Four more practices that I'm not going to talk about. I just want to mention, and you can write down. Number one, memorizing Scripture. Almost none of us do this, uh, but it would be a really good thing to get your kids doing. Number two, uh, reading uh, faith-inspiring books. Span beyond the Bible, read books that will inspire faith in your kids. Number three, spiritual retreats. I know of very few Christians that do this as a family. Um, Can't honestly say I have done this as a family, but... uh, Uh, it's a good idea, and um, maybe some of us will decide to to try it. Number four, rites of passage. Celebrate your kids when when they achieve some faith milestone. They receive Christ as their Savior. Celebrate it big. Make a big deal about it. When they get baptized, make a big deal about it. When they learn the books of the Bible, make a big deal about it. If they learn a whole book of the Bible, which I've heard one family in the church is doing, God bless you, and good luck with that. Uh, when, they, when, they, when they learn a whole book of the Bible, celebrate them. Rites of passage can be very helpful. And then there's a third category on the back of your outline, and here's what it's for. As we've been talking about these things, you may have had some idea that I have not put out there, but, but some idea has come into your mind of something you could do that you think might be helpful in influencing your kids toward Christ. Write it down. Capture it right now in this moment. Because if you've had that idea, it may just be that God is speaking to you and God is giving you some special insight into your child and giving you something that will be uniquely effective with your child. So if you have an idea, capture it and write it down. The final thing, if you want your kids to know and love God, you have to lead your kids by example. You can't just tell them. They have to see it in you. And of course, that's where we started. To help your kids know and love God, you have to know and love God. Your actions speak louder than your words. We've heard that a lot over the last three months, and it's a truth that has great relevance for parenting. You can tell your kids that they need to know and love Jesus. But your effectiveness will be undermined if you do not really, really know and love Jesus yourself. But if you do, if you do, 
You become much more believable. And the knowledge and love of God becomes much more attractive to your child. Why don't you stand?